I get to work on staff here at Cypress Creek Church with a bunch of imperfect people, so I fit right in. We serve a bunch of imperfect people, so we all fit right in together. My name's Sean. I am the pastor who Jesus loves. That's right. <laughs> pastor who Jesus loves. That's right. We are talking about 1 John. That's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if you realize this, but John multiple times referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And I'm thinking, isn't that a little, little arrogant? I mean, really? Uh, like, I guess when he was writing, he already knew all the other disciples had been persecuted or martyred or passed away by that point or assumed they wouldn't read the letter. But still, I'm thinking, calling yourself out a little bit there, right? I mean, it's like being on that family text, you know, with your siblings, and, and at the end, you're like, you know, I'm mom's favorite, or mom liked me the best, or dad and I are closer than y'all. I mean... This just makes, makes it awkward later on when you get together for Thanksgiving and stuff. But John is an interesting guy, and the way that he writes is interesting. Jose's been pointing that out. There's a circular style to his writing. We're going to dig into 1 John chapter 3. That's where we're, where we're headed. But I want to start with something a little different that's going to ultimately kind of pave the way into that teaching. I want you to think about your favorite three-letter word. Now, just make sure you're with me before you start yelling things out. I said three-letter word, all right? Three-letter. So what is your favorite three-letter word? What's a good three-letter word? Anybody got something? Eat, all right. Eat. Fun. Fun's a great one. Thank you. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of good ones. Air, that's important. Uh, somebody back there on staff said joy. That's a good one. Hug, that's great. Wow, God, that's a good one. Um, my favorite three-letter word is, uh, it's not ampersand, that's more than three letters, it's and, that's my favorite three-letter word, and. So I'm gonna leave this up here because I'm gonna talk about and for a little bit today. I believe that in a culture where mutual exclusivity is kind of the, the norm and is an important word for us to think about. See, in our culture today, if, if you're over here and believe this, then you have to hate the people that are over there and not associate with them. And if, you like, if you're over here and you think this way or act this way, then you gotta disavow yourself from listening to or even thinking about whatever those people over there say. And I think we need a little more and in our culture. We need to have our opinion and live our life and listen and care about what other people are thinking or saying. We need to get back to diplomacy and statesmanship. But before I get too far down that line, I really want to just stick with what John is trying to teach us in 1 John 3, because there's an amazingly important and that he is trying to highlight in the verses of this chapter, chapter 3. See, in our culture, we sometimes get off track with what the Bible's trying to say or what it means, and that was, that's what was going on. That's why John wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He wrote it to a group of people who were struggling because there were teachers coming in and they were distorting the truth and pulling people away from what they had been taught. And the fundamentals of what they were being taught before were very important, but they were getting drug away from that by, by confusion. So there's a big important and in our, in our faith, in our system, and it's, it's just healthy for us to be reminded of this. The first part of the and is spoken about when Paul wrote in Ephesians. And he says this, 
He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. What God did by sending his son Jesus in that death is something that we can't boast in. We had nothing to do with that other than causing the fact that he had to die. We certainly had nothing to do with him sacrificing for us or being resurrected. That is a gift. That is God's grace to us. That is how you have eternal life. That is how you experience the reception of God's love is by receiving his son, period. End of story. And there's a second part to this. And James talks about it this way. The summary of that is, you know, faith without works is dead, so faith in itself is what's gonna allow you to experience eternal life and relationship with God. And if that faith then doesn't get put into action and do some kind of work, then it is dead. It is useless. It is not helpful or beneficial to yourself or anybody else. And there are segments of church as a whole that have been divided over the simple concept that's on the screen right now, that there are groups of people that would say, no, works, you gotta work your way and you gotta prove your way. And there is a large percentage of people in America who believe in heaven, but don't go to church. And they will tell you that the way they're gonna get to heaven is they're gonna be good enough. They're gonna do enough good things. They're gonna do enough works that justify their earning their way into heaven. They would believe the second half of that, but they wouldn't believe the first half. And there are a lot of other people in the church community in our country, in our culture, in some denominations that believe the first half, but not the second half. They're like, no, no, it, this is it, faith. We're gonna soak it all in. We're gonna receive all the blessing of being loved by God and the sacrifice of his son, but we don't have to do anything. We don't owe anybody anything. There's, there will be no life changer outcome to that other than we're gonna get pretty haughty and prideful and spend a lot of time encouraging each other and how awesome we are because we've discovered this truth. Both of those places in isolation leaves you pretty empty and pretty exhausted. The reality is God wants more. He wants the and, and that's what John is writing about in this, first, in this third chapter of 1 John. So uh, Jose said it again, circular kind of in the way that he writes. I don't know, I was sitting out there last week listening to Jose teach. I don't know if you've been here the last couple of weeks or if you've read through some of 1 John, but that was one particular verse where the word abide was used six times, I think. I mean, and this is how John writes. It's a little confusing to me. It's like, if you abide in him and he abides in you and you together both abide in the same thing, then you're gonna abide in this land of abideth and everybody's gonna abideth their way to heaven. I don't know, it was said something like that. That's what it sounded like to me. John, evidently, the people he's writing to and consequently us as well, he must think are pretty slow learners. Um, because he kind of repeats things over and over again. We're gonna see that in the passages today. Now, I understand that concept because I need it sometimes, um, and also because Matt and Joey and I and a few other guys are coaching fourth and fifth graders in tackle football for the first time. And these little guys, I never knew you had to say the same thing so many times to try to get it through. The helmet evidently keeps them from hearing and processing information the way normal people do, because you can look at them, you say, okay, we're gonna go to the right, I need you to get to the outside and then go up. And they're like, well, my right's over there. I'm like, okay, well, turn around and face the same way as me. We're gonna go to the right, and they're like, I can't see where you're pointing anymore. Well, I'm pointing the same right I was just pointing to. 
All right, then I want you to go outside. Outside of what? Well, outside of the line. What line? There's lines everywhere. No, the defensive line. They're right there. Go outside of the defensive line. Well, how far outside? Because there's an out of bounds over there. Don't go to the out of bounds. Just go outside of the outside right there. This is just talking to one kid in one moment about one play, and there's a bunch of them and a bunch of plays. It's exhausting. So I know what John is doing. He's like, I'll repeat it again. So I'll say it again. I already wrote a book of John back there, and now I'm having to write 1 John. Then I'll do a second John and a third John because you people need a lot of help. We do. I guess so. But let's dig in. John, in his writing, different than how a lot of people do, he actually, in this 1 John chapter 3, he writes the summary of the whole chapter in the last couple of verses. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to begin at the end. 1 John Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is interesting to me because, again, the repetitiveness. He says, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. You just said as he commanded us at the start, the first preposition. Then he ended with another preposition. It's like, thus saith Sean, go mow the yard, so saith Sean. Like, that seems a little repetitive, but... Evidently, we need to hear it that way, but what's in the middle is what matters. And it says, believe in Jesus, and there's our and, love one another. It takes both to exercise the faith that we've been given, to live out the life God has called us to, takes both of those steps. First and foremost, you need to understand that Jesus came, that he loved you, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to believe that because that unleashes all of the power of the Holy Spirit inside us so that we can then go out and love others the way God wants us to. It's a two-step process. And then he goes ahead and writes at the end, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. What's his commandment? Well, he just said it twice in the sentence above. His commandment is to believe in Jesus and love one another. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He's saying in the entire book, 1 John chapter, I mean, entire chapter, 1 John chapter three, he's saying, believe in God, love each other, and there's a spirit, Holy Spirit inside you that will help guide that process. That's what he's trying to say. So if you're a Cliff Notes kind of person, this is the point where you can doze off because now we're just gonna unpack this stuff from here. We're gonna go back and do it the way John would want us to do it at, at starting at verse one. So here we go. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself and is pure. Now, he's starting out by letting us know who we are. We are children of God. That's a big deal. Maybe that's hard to get your mind around. But think about it for a second. If you have kids, there are certain traits that you want your kid to have and live out in the world because they're yours. Like, as a result of being raised in this family with the values that we have, there are ways that I want you to behave when you get out there in the world. We drove Colt and I, a little fourth grader, up to Lampasas to play a football game yesterday. That's like an hour and 45 minutes up there to play. So we got a lot of car time, he and I, and we're chatting it up. 
and he's got his jersey, and it says Wimberley on Texans on the front. We're talking about what it means to play for the Texans. And on the back, it says Stover. I don't think it's a good idea to put people's names, kids' names on the back of the jersey. It can bring a lot of shame and embarrassment to the family, and I don't think they need to do that at this age. But for some reason, the league did that, so it says Stover on the back. I said, well, since it says that, there are certain things that you need to know when you step onto an athletic field, and that's on your back. It probably means, in a lot of cases, if you're a Stover, you're going to be one of the smaller people out there, and you're going to be one of the slower people out there. But you're going to hustle more than anybody else hustles. And you're going to be tenacious, and you're going to persevere. It means you're not going to do some things. You're not going to yell at referees. You're not going to backtalk referees. You're not going to yell at your coach, and you're not going to backtalk or question your coach on the field. And we talk about all these things. That's what John is saying here in the start of this chapter. He's saying, you are children of God, and as a result of that, there are certain expectations of you. There are certain things that are required of us to wear the jersey or wear the label children of God. And he kind of just unpacks that in the rest of the letter. Mostly what it's gonna say is what we've already said, and that is that we need to love each other. And he's gonna get specific in how to do that. But he continues on. If you're gonna wear this jersey, this I'm a child of God, you're gonna have to be pure first, it's said in verse three. And then it says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. You know what he, that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. At this point, he's saying, if you are a child of God, wearing that jersey means you will not continue on in sin. It doesn't mean you won't commit sin. Most of us have done that already at some point today. That doesn't mean you're not a child of God. What it's saying you gotta really understand this in the Greek. This version, ESV version, actually plays it out pretty well. But if you got like an NIV Bible and you're reading it from that, it actually doesn't, it doesn't take into account that the Greek word here when it says sin is not a one-time sin, it's a habitual pattern of sinning. And it's saying if you just continue on in this habitual pattern of sinning and you don't choose purity or righteousness, you are not a child of God. You're gonna sin as a child of God. That's okay. It's like, but when you do, what do you do? Do you, do you feel conviction? Do you, do you confess that? Do you repent from that? Do you release it and move a different direction? That's the hope. That's what we wanna do as children of God. It goes on to keep explaining this in more detail. In verse seven, it says, little children, here we are back to treating us like children, because we are. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever practices, get that? Whoever is living that way is righteous, and he is righteous, God is. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, there's the word, a practice of sinning, a continual, habitual practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Once you do step one in the and process and you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, and at that point, there's something inside you that doesn't like sin, that whenever you do sin, it kind of bumps into that, and it's like, hey, hey, that's not who you are anymore. You need to turn from that. That's what it's saying. So we don't want to continue in that pattern. It goes on and finishes out. 
Just explaining a little more. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. It's saying, how do we know? How do we know that we're wearing that jersey as a child of God? Well, we're gonna practice righteousness and we're gonna love our brother. Those are the two things that are mentioned there. We're gonna do our best to live a right life and make right decisions. We're gonna stumble and we're gonna get back up and we're gonna keep going forward. We're trying to live a right life and second, we're gonna love each other the way we're called to love, the way we're commanded to love. Now from that point, if you're following along in your Bible, there's a section where he talks about Cain and Abel, and it's just more of him giving an example of what it looks like to either choose a path of righteousness and wear the jersey of God, or choose a path of sin, habitual sin, and wear that jersey for the devil. We're gonna move past that because I wanna get to the real practical part here. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says this, by this we know love. So he's about to say, by this we know love. He's about to give us three ways we know if we're loving each other well. This is where, way back up and take a couple of notes on this, all right? Here we go. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We'll unpack that more in a second, but that's the first way. That our response to Jesus and what he did for us is that we need to sacrificially care about the people around us. We need to change our mindset and not just be selfish, but also think about other people. The second thing he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The second thing is we've got to have our hearts open to the needs and the emotional state and the trouble that's going on in the people's lives around us, and we've got to care about that. And then the third thing he says is, here we go again, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The third thing he's saying is, you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. You've got to be willing to get out there and serve. Now, we'll go to a slide next that'll kind of summarize these three points, verse 16, 17, and 18, because there are three ways to practically live out this loving one another. And this is the place you want to look and say, which of this am I doing pretty well, and where am I struggling a little bit? Christine and I lived at Berry College in Georgia for about nine years, eight, eight years, I guess it was. And uh, Martha Berry started the college. She was an amazing woman. It's been around for over 100 years. It's huge, 28,000 acres. It's beautiful. And her idea from the start, so for over 100 years, has been to educate the head, the heart, and the hands of the students who come. So it's one of those colleges where you actually work for your tuition. That's the hands part, and she's educating the, and then teaching them to care. You can take it right out of these verses, 16 through 18 of 1 John chapter 3. 16 said that Jesus laid his life down, and we need to lay down our lives for each other. What that means, what that's trying to get at, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, is that in our heads, we've got to make a mental shift where we are willing to think about others and sacrifice. Now, that's where most of us get off, at sacrifice. I'm willing to think about others, but, but you mean I gotta give something up of myself? I mean, can I, can I just give from the excess, my excess time, my excess energy, my excess funds? That's not sacrifice. Jesus didn't get to give from his excess. He gave everything that he had. That's our example. And let's be honest, just the, just the head-level thinking about others Man, how much of that do you do? 
Because if I'm honest, for me, I spend most of my day thinking about me. Like, what am I hungry for? Um, where can I go eat somewhere that I won't bump into somebody? Um, how long can I nap? Uh, how long can I put my phone on silent without feeling like I'm neglecting people around me? I mean, those are some of my selfish thoughts. That's what goes on in my mind sometimes. I think a lot about me. But God's saying, flip that on its ear. You need to start thinking about other people and being willing to sacrifice. That's a, that's a head change in how we love. The second thing there is a heart change. In verse 17, it said that, you know, if you have material possessions and yet you close your heart down, which means instead of sharing, you're going to make sure you don't feel what anybody else is feeling. Not at all the plan that God has. In, uh, I don't know, it's been a few months ago, but I was studying, I think I might have even taught it up here a little bit, but there are multiple times in Scripture where it says Jesus saw and was moved with compassion. That phrase, he saw and was moved with compassion. Well, that's what he's asking us to do if we're gonna love each other well. It's from our heart. We've gotta, instead of closing our heart, we've gotta be willing to open our heart to care about the people around us and show compassion to the people around us. And once you do, then the natural overflow of that is sharing. You start to share what you have and realize that there are hurting people out there that need something, maybe that you have to give. That's the heart. So the head, the heart, the third way we need to learn to love is with our hands. We need to take action and we need to get out there and we need to serve. I love the pictures that Taylor had up there of the community group that served this uh, past weekend. And uh, as I was talking to them about the community group, about, you know, what was that like? We were just in the back and uh, said, man, it was just fun. We had a good time. People really just were energized and said, hey, when can we do this again? That's what happens when you get out there and serve. As community groups serve together, as groups of friends serve together, this natural kind of energy and doing something is a great expression of the love that you have in your heart. Are you out there and are you doing something for the people around you? It's got to be more than just words. You've probably heard this uh, quote from Francis of Assisi, but he says, to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That chalkboard right there is actually right beside our door. As you walk out our house, Saint, or I guess, no, not Saint, Sister Christina of Augusta wrote that on our chalkboard right there. Uh, it's been up there for a couple of years. And uh, that's what we see when we leave. That's her, I guess, her, her translation of that. But the point is, we want to live a life, you know, that's an example. And we're not always going to say the right thing. And most of the time, what we say, people don't hear anyway, because we don't know like John does to repeat it 800 times or have the time to do that. But man, they will see your actions. They will see what you are doing. Are you living a life that shows the love that you've already received? He just wants us to get real practical that's what John is saying. He's like, hey, it's both. It's receiving Jesus, believing in him, and it's then taking that joy, that peace, and those fruits of the Spirit and sharing them with the people around you. That's what the whole process looks like. There's so many benefits, you guys. I mean, I, uh, I just looked at it because sometimes I, I, I check to see what the great scientists of the world are doing, and they said that these are all benefits of helping others. Number one, helping others can help you live longer. There are researched studies that say people who volunteer actually live 
a longer life. Um, it says that altruism is contagious. There have been studies that show that once you do an act of kindness or service for somebody else, that catches on and there's a ripple effect in a community. Dozens of studies have showed that. Number three, helping others can make us happy. There was a research study that tracked 2,000 people over a five-year period and found that Americans who described themselves as very happy out of that group volunteered at least 5.8 hours per month. Helping others makes a difference. Helping others may help with chronic pain. Helping others lowers blood pressure. Been research that shows that people who volunteer at least 200 hours or serve other people at least 200 hours a year have up to a 40% decrease in hypertension. Helping others promotes positive behavior in teens. Teenagers who volunteer have better grades and a higher self-image, according to research. And then lastly, helping others gives us a sense of purpose and satisfaction. Um, there was a guy named Bob Buford who wrote a book called Halftime. Maybe some of you saw that, but it was kind of like this midlife crisis thing, but he was trying to make more sense of it kind of in terms of what God would want for us. And it's like the middle of our life, we reevaluate and kind of what do we want to do with the second half of our life? It was pretty popular. Well, I guess he aged on up because his most recent book is Finishing Well. And he researched people in the fourth quarter of their life. And uh, what he found was that the, the people at that age who were living with the highest quality of life, the most uh, satisfaction in life, having the most fun and the most fulfillment were those who had something, a project that was outside themselves that they invested in consistently. They finished well. People who only tried to figure out how to lower their, their golf score or find the best honey hole for fishing didn't fare as well as people who had something outside themselves that they cared about. Good research always just validates what the Bible has said all along. See, God didn't create this system where he loves us so that we could then go out and exhaust ourselves doing his bidding and taking care of other people. God created a system where he pours his love into us, and the most rewarding thing we can do with our lives at that point is to then share that with other people, and we get a ton of benefits, health benefits, emotional benefits, spiritual benefits, relational benefit from living life this way. And that's what John's just trying to convince us of here in 1 John 3. He's like, hey, take what you've been given and share it with others and watch the difference it makes in your outlook, in your mentality, in your emotions, in your relationships. Because it's an amazing system. We were built to serve and care for other people. And uh, honestly, you guys, sometimes we just really get off track focusing inward so much that we end up getting depressed and we get anxious. And we need to turn it around and start thinking about the people around us so that we can get out of this stuck place that we're in. So those last verses, again, we're back to the end of 1 John chapter three, just to put them up one more time. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. We're children of God and uh we wear his jersey. I told you, um, yeah, I told you Stover, we put it on the back of our jerseys. My oldest son plays football at the University of Texas at San Antonio, and they were on TV yesterday playing against Memphis. Both teams were 3-0. and They made a miraculous comeback, UTSA did, and they won the game. And uh, 
This is a photo uh, of Cade. So you can see Stover on the back of his jersey. Now, here's the important thing to know. Cade did not play a single down of the football game. So I'm not up here bragging on how the Stovers helped contribute to the winning of that game. He didn't play a single down. But one of the other things my kids know is that if you wear Stover on the back of your jersey, you better find somebody to encourage at some point in an athletic contest. And this is him hugging the kicker who just made the field goal as time expired to win the game. And that's the shot that got stuck on TV. Um, he and that guy started, he and the kicker started FCA on the UTSA campus. So I'm super, super proud of him, but it's fun to see. And that'll be a good story for me to tell our kids. But the point I want you to leave with is that you wear a jersey. When you walk out of this church and Jesus is in your heart and a cross is around your neck and an ichthu sticker is on the back of your car, you're wearing a jersey. Love other people. And they will know that we are Christians by our love. Let's pray.